Let's, uh, let's turn in our Bibles, shall we? 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm going to start in verse 1. I was going to read the entire chapter, and then I thought it's, it's kind of long. And so I think the first five verses, and then the last four verses of 1 Corinthians 14, really bring it all together. So that's where we're going to spend our time. Because today, everyone is charismatic church history. Turn to your neighbor and say, yes. Charismatic church history. So I thought I'd read a passage about speaking in tongues, a passage of the Bible about speaking uh, and prophecies. Shall we get started with the Bible? Anybody like the Bible out there? I, I really like it as well. 1 Corinthians 14 says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. What did it say? Eagerly desire spiritual gifts. We should do that. Especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. Has anyone ever heard someone speak in tongues? Maybe some of you speak in tongues as well. It's mysteries. No one understands it. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. That's what Paul says. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Now we're going to skip almost this this whole chapter and turn to verse 36 at the end of, of chapter 14. And it said, he kind, of, he kind of teases them a little bit, it seems. Did the word of God originate with you? Are you the only people it has reached? If anybody thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, after writing all this, this whole chapter about tongues and, and prophecies and how an orderly service should work, he says, therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and an orderly way. Let's pray. God, we welcome your presence in here. God, we open our hearts to you. We open our minds and our souls to you, Jesus, that you might teach us something fresh, something real today that we could apply to our lives. And so, God, as we cover the charismatic church history of the United States, God, I just ask that your glory will be shown in that story, your story of your work on this earth. And so we praise you, we thank you, and everybody screamed, Amen. You guys are doing much better these days. That's really good. Well, if you're new to the Mill Sunday School, we just want to welcome you. Sunday School is all about going a little bit deeper into the Word of God, into the Bible, a little bit deeper than, than say, an average sermon might go. An average sermon is usually practical. We here at the Mill Sunday School pride ourselves that we're kind of like nerds. We're nerds in a good way, though. Raise your hand if you're a nerd. See, everybody is a nerd. That or you're not, but you're, you're still cool. And so, um, and so the Mill Sunday School is all about that, and I think it's a good place to meet people and connect to, which we've never done this before, but if this is your first time, would you raise your hand? We just want to thank those people that are new. And uh, we also want to keep an eye on you because afterwards we want to meet you. 
we want to talk to you, invite you to the, to the church to sit with us because, uh, because the mill, is. when you came to the mill for the first time, any one of us, were you a little overwhelmed? There's like a thousand people in there. It's a little overwhelming. But Sunday school, we're all family in here, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, what's up, family? <laughs> all right, shall we get started? Uh, in your notes, do, does there, did everyone get a skillet? We call them skillets. That's your notes for today. Um, I was just going to jump. We're talking about church history all this month, and I was just going to jump right in to the charismatic church history. But I thought maybe there's some people here. I, I'm even assuming that there's quite a few people here that, that when we hear the word charismatic, we kind of know what, what's, what's being talked about, but we might not really totally know what charismatic means. And so I want to define it. I want to give you um, some explanations of what charismatic is. And, uh, and the like. So would you, at your table, this is an assignment. And if, if, if you're sitting with, uh, if you're not sitting with anybody or the people that you're sitting with are weird, you can go to another table. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Write down uh, some things that, what it, what, I guess the question is, what does it mean to be charismatic? List some things that charismatics or Pentecostals believe that if you're a Christian and you're not charismatic, and Pentecostal, you might not believe those things. Do you understand the assignment? You only have like 30 seconds. So list some things that charismatics believe. Ready, set, go. All right, yell some things out. What do charismatics believe? Filled with the Holy Spirit. What else? Speaking in tongues. Raising their hand. What else did I hear? What? Slain in the Spirit. Do you know what that is? Uh, what else? Yeah, I know what it is. We'll talk about it. Uh, what else? Anybody else want to yell out anything? This is a perfect opportunity to yell in church. Usually you can't yell in church or the ushers will come. That's not true. <laughs> maybe some. Maybe some. They did not. They didn't watch movies? What about Transformers? What did they do? They didn't go see it? They went to church? <laughs> well, thank you for those definitions. I have the definition of charismatic that we are going to use in here. Can we apply it to the boards? Watch this technology. Ta-da! Wait, no, that's the verse. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's the oldest trick in the book. I have it here. Let me just begin reading it, and then they'll, they'll, they'll get it, I promise. Charismatic is the umbrella term. Oh, there it is. The umbrella term used to describe Christians who believe that the manifestations of the Holy Spirit seen in the first century church are available to contemporary Christians and ought to be experienced and practiced today. That's, that, that's what we believe. I.E. I.E. I'm not. Does anyone know what that means? Pertaining to why is it I.E. though? It's Latin. Oh, it's Latin. It's Latin. I.E. Examples: miracles, prophecy, healings, and a word called glossolalia, which is the Greek big people theological word for speaking in tongues or languages. And so, some of you yelled out things like charismatics 
raise their hand in church. Usually that's true. But there's a lot of churches that I've been to that are not charismatic and they still raise their hands in churches. So this is specifically a definition, the theology behind what it means to be charismatic. Uh, Our buddy went to a church where they didn't like to watch movies um, as a charismatic church. That's not really what being charismatic is all about. It's really about believing in the manifestations of the Holy Spirit seen in the first century church and that those things are available to contemporary, to us Christians, and ought to be experienced and practiced today. And I am going to define Pentecostalism or Pentecostals as the exact same thing as charismatics. For the purpose of Sunday school, for the purpose of this week, next week, and maybe even the next week, we're going to get into charismatic church history. I'm saying that charismatic, uh, uh, the charismatic movement and the Pentecostal movement are the same thing. I'm going to use them interchangeably. And some of you that maybe know a lot, because we're all nerds in here, some of you may know a lot about the charismatic movement and the Pentecostal movement, and you might say, they're two different things. And they kind of are two different things. But it's like explaining something, uh, it's like explaining the difference between Coke and Pepsi to someone. You could say, same thing, right? I mean, if someone's never tasted either of them, I don't know where they've been, um, but, but you would say, oh, it's the same thing. Coke and Pepsi, the same thing. But some of you are connoisseurs of Coke or Pepsi. And if someone sets a Pepsi in front of you, you would say, get this trash out of my face. I only drink Coke products. So, so, so it's, it's kind of like that. There is a difference between Pentecostalism and charismatic stuff, charismatic movement. But for the purpose of this Sunday school business, same thing. Is everybody okay with that? You're okay. You're okay. I know you are. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm okay. I wanted to just, because um, we could talk about definitions all day long, but um, I really think that there's quite a few of us out there that uh, would appreciate my testimony of how I became charismatic. Do you want to hear it? Okay, good. Um, I, w- I grew up Catholic my whole life. As a, My parents were Catholic as I was a little baby. Up until about high school, I started going to a Protestant youth group. And when I was Catholic... Just, I was just talking to someone this morning about who, Catholics and what they believe. I believe that there's lots of saved Catholics. I believe there really are. But I, when I was going to Catholic church, um, it seemed like my Sunday school teachers would say, oh, if you just come to church and be a good little boy, then you're saved. Is that how salvation works? No, it's about Jesus and having a relationship with him. So when I was Catholic little boy, I, I wasn't saved mainly because of that teaching. But that's not to say that all Catholic teachings are like that. So in high school... I started going to this youth group, and uh, it, was, it was just like this high school youth group, very similar to uh, Young Life, I think, but it wasn't called Young Life, just very similar. And I got saved at, this, uh, at my high school youth group, and the pastor, the youth pastor, was non-charismatic, maybe even anti-charismatic, because when I was, I had coffee with him one time, and so all I knew, uh, I was reading through the book of Acts, and I was like, well, what's the speaking in tongues things? What's this baptism of the Holy Spirit stuff? And he said like many Christians might say, that those things ceased. They're called cessationalists. Have you heard that term before? They would say that when the Bible was written and finished, those things stopped, and they're no longer for today. And so that was the, that was the youth group that I attended. That's just, I mean, I didn't have anything to compare it to. That's just what I believed. And um, at the time, um, I, it's kind of part of the story. You know how... Um, things become part of the story, but I was dating a girl in high school. It was long before I met my wife, like 10 years ago. So just so you know, 
Um, uh, I was dating her. We dated for like three years. That's a long time to be in high school, right, and dating someone. But at the end of the three years, we broke it off like almost all high school relationships do. just kind of happens. And so I was sad. I was sad, and, and almost for a year, I was a Christian, but just kind of depressed. Didn't read my Bible that much. Um, it was just one of those years. Has anybody had one of those years? You're just kind of sad for a whole year, maybe even depressed. And, and, and at the end of that time, that summer, uh, a buddy of mine invited me to, Cal- to, excuse me, to Florida to go out there to be a roommate with him for the summer and to go to his church and to be and help at his church and maybe find a summer job. So I did that. And you know what? His church was very, very charismatic. New Life Church, if you did not know this, we are charismatic here. We're proud of that. Uh, I would say we're charismatic light or diet charismatic. And I'll explain. I'll explain what that means um, in a second. But this church was like charismatic full force. Uh, some of the things that was raising the hands, uh, jumping around, uh, and even more so, people falling on the ground, people screaming during worship, just kind of charismatic things. We, I often heard people speak in tongues and prophesying. It was just a very, very, very common occurrence at all their meetings. And for me, it was weird. I had never heard that before. I had never seen it before. All I knew as a high schooler that became a Christian was that stuff ceased. And so when I came to his church, I was open to it. I was like, well, just explain it to me. And I was open to it. I read literally every single verse in the Bible that talked about tongues, Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit, every single one in the Bible, researched it, was open to it. And on one Sunday um, after church, the, the pastor said, all those who want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can come forward and be prayed for. So I went forward. I was prayed for. And then it was a very simple prayer. And then he just said, why don't you go into the next room, continue praying, continue asking God, for the gift of, the, of tongues and the Holy Spirit. And so I went into this other little room, a little side chapel, went in there, sat down, and just started praying. And, I, and that was the first time I spoke in tongues in there, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have experienced something like that? Quite a few of us. But, quite, but if you're looking around, quite a few of us haven't. And that's why I'm explaining this. Um, and so I experienced that. And for me, it, I was thinking that it was going to be God would just totally overtake my body and my mouth and just start, words would just start coming out. But it really wasn't like that. It was me speaking and, and, and just kind of babbling. But the presence of God was, was there, and it, I had felt the presence of God before, but it was just like every time, for me, and some people would, would say that their experience is different, but for me, every time, and still today, when I speak in tongues, it's just like I feel the, the presence of God. It's like a secret door into the presence of God, is how I would explain it. But that's my personal experience. Some of you raised your hand and said, you experienced that. If you haven't, ask one of those people, and they'll tell you their experience. And it's a fun story. So that's kind of my experience. Is that helpful for, for some of you? I think so. I think it's helpful. I want to give you some resources if you're, um, if you're just new to the charismatic stuff. And I feel like this is kind of a background to charismatic stuff before we just jump into the history of it. Uh, I wanted to hold up this. This is Aaron Stern's, Aaron Stern's sermon series. On, it's called... the. The Holy Who, kind of a, like Holy Spirit, Holy what? Holy Who is his sermon series. He preached it about a year ago, and it's all about uh, the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You could buy this at the Furnace Bookstore, I think. Uh, the right out here, the, the bookstore, the main church bookstore. I have no idea how much it is, but it's a good resource. Uh, another resource, a lot of you have this book. It's called The Bible. And if you don't have one, there's Bible sitting on your table. You could take those. It's not stealing. It's just, 
uh, we want you to have a Bible if you don't have a Bible. And you could look through a concordance. A concordance is a book or online even. I mean, why go to a book when you can go online? Go to BibleGateway.com, type in tongues or type in the Holy Spirit or baptism of the Holy Spirit. Hit enter and it will show you every single verse in the Bible that those occurrences um, are in the Bible. And you, so you could read every single verse about tongues and just research it for yourself. The final resource uh, is this book. Anybody ever heard of uh, Jack Deere's Surprised by the Voice of God? Anybody? Just a few of you? It's a really cool resource. Jack Deere, D-E-E-R-E, is a guy that used to teach at Dallas Theological Seminary. And so he's a nerd. He was a professor at a college. He was a nerd, uh, like some of us in here, nerdy Bible knowledge type. And Dallas Theological Seminary is known for being kind of a non-charismatic or even an anti-charismatic school. They don't believe in the, in, the, in the gifts of the Spirit. And so he was there, and then he started, he got baptized in the Holy Spirit, started kind of teaching that, and then the school didn't like that very much. So they asked him to leave. And so he had to leave the school, and he teaches somewhere else now, I believe. Uh, uh, Montana somewhere. He's not in Montana anymore. Is he a cool guy, personally? You don't remember. I'm sure he's cool. <laughs> he writes really cool. He, so he writes from the perspective of, of having come from an anti-charismatic movement into a charismatic uh, framework and that believing that gifts of the Spirit are for today. And he writes a really cool book. Um, you'd have to get it at a Christian bookstore or the library. That's where I get all my books. Does anybody else like the library? I go to the library probably. You could even ask my wife. I go to the library probably three or four times a week. It's an addiction. It's knowledge. I mean, all these books, take a look. It's in a book, The Reading Rainbow. <laughs> oh, it's fun to be a nerd. Here's what I want to talk about now, just very briefly as I sip my water, is uh, the, probably a lot of you, or maybe some of you, even myself, came from uh, or have been to churches that are either non-charismatic or anti-charismatic. The non-charismatic churches might say, oh, we're, we're open to it. We're just, we just don't kind of practice tongues or prophecy or, or, or whatever. An anti-charismatic church would be like, that stuff is wrong. It ceased. And so, uh, and so there's, there's arguments that they have. And ladies and gentlemen, they are our Christian brothers and sisters. And so we have to, we have to welcome them into the kingdom just like we would want to be welcomed if we, if we went to their church if they came here or if we meet them, what, that, that we, we all believe in Jesus and we're Christians and that's our common denominator, not what we believe about the gifts of the Spirit. Um, but we'll get into that. This is a book called Charismatic Chaos. It's a book that, uh, has, from the title you could probably say, yeah, he probably doesn't like the charismatic movement. He really doesn't. He doesn't like the charismatic movement. I'll explain why in a second. His name is John MacArthur. You've probably heard of him. He's a, he's a big-time dude. He's the president of Master's College and Seminary. He's written the book, uh, The Gospel According to Jesus. He has radio shows. He's a pretty big deal. But he is our Christian brother, but he does not believe in the charismatic movement. He wrote this book, Charismatic Chaos. And what he says is, uh, let's see, his main deal, his main supposition is that the truth is there is no fresher, more intimate revelation than Scripture. Do you believe that? I do too. God does not need, and then here's the part I would, wouldn't really agree with. God does not need then to give us private revelation to help us in our walk with him. 
And then he talks about Scripture and how Scripture is canonized. That means we have the whole Bible right here, and it's the best thing we have to connect with God, which we believe that this, is, this book oversees. I mean, if we experience something weird that's anti the Bible, what do we hold up higher, the Bible or our experience? We hold up the Bible. And so I'm, I'm right with him. I agree with him when it comes to that, but he says that we don't need any more revelation from God. We don't need to listen to him or, or, or experience God because our experience needs to only come through the Bible. And then he, he says this in his introduction. He says, uh, I'm convinced that the fundamental teachings of the charismatic movement, that's us, create an extreme emphasis on external evidences and thereby encourage bogus claims, false prophets, and other forms of spiritual humbug. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means, but it doesn't sound good. He would say that um, he would say that all the charismatic stuff, if you if you speak in tongues, it's fake. If you, if there's a prophecy that comes true, it was just fake. If there's a healing that you had in your own body, or a healing that you prayed for and saw someone get healed of something, it's fake because it no longer happens today. That's that's his position. He's our Christian brother, and we have to say that over and over again, but he's our Christian brother, but he comes from the perspective that miracles don't happen today, that, that things that happen in the Bible, like the, the miraculous things, do not happen anymore. That's, his, um, that's where he comes from. That's his position. He writes a whole book about it. And honestly, if you read this book, uh, there's a lot you would probably agree with because he's, he talks about some, a lot of it is stories, him like going to small groups or churches where they're just pretty crazy. I mean, he goes to churches that are kind of crazy and kind of, uh, in some ways, maybe are abusive in their charismatic or their spiritual gifts. Lots of weird stuff going on. And he writes about those things. And in some ways, it's a little embarrassing that, that our Christian brothers and sisters that are also charismatic um, do some pretty wild things sometimes. Um, but he, he writes about those. But his main position is that um, the canon is closed. So is miraculous stuff. But I have two rebuttals for that, for this kind of thought. And it comes really from, well, I guess I could tell a story first. That, so I went to Florida. Remember my little story? I, went, I, was, I lived in Utah. I, I was kind of depressed. Went to Florida. Got baptized in the Holy Spirit. My depression kind of stopped. Um, I, I just started experiencing God on a whole new level. Came back after that summer to my Utah church, which was a Baptist church, not a Mormon church. I came to my Baptist church and uh, they were anti-charismatic. And I really didn't know that before I experienced the charismatic stuff that I did in Florida. But when I came back, I overheard some pastors. And I was a janitor at the church. I over, overheard some pastors and some leaders talking about charismatics. And they were just kind of making fun of charismatics. And it just kind of grieved me that there was this separation, this difference between two kind of types of Christians. And I had just been filled with the Holy Spirit as far as being baptized in the Holy Spirit spoken tongues, and so I came, to, came back and overheard these people just kind of joking about, and they were saying, oh, they, they make us look bad. Those, those crazy charismatics make us look bad. And then one of them said, well, why are they even holding up their hands anyways? What are they saying? Oh, look at me. Here I am. I'm worshiping God. And they were saying things like, oh, they just, they make us look so bad. They, do, they just do crazy things. They do silly things. And it just, you know, it just kind of broke me a little bit. And, and I thought, here I am experiencing God and, and taking my walk with God so much deeper, so much stronger in my own personal life. And, and here's people that are just so anti that 
the idea that you could you could experience God with 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 tongues, with prophecy, with just hearing from God, and it just kind of broke me a little bit. So uh, so I am fully charismatic. That's why I'm a pastor at New Life Church because New Life Church is charismatic. We'll talk about where New Life kind of stands in a minute. But my two rebuttals to the anti-charismatic movement. Um, one, he makes the claim here that uh, in his first chapter, second paragraph, he says charismatics have a tendency to gauge truth by personal experience rather than scripture. They have a tendency to gauge truth by personal experience rather than scripture. And I would say, as a charismatic, if I had an experience and I had the Bible and they differed, I would hold the Bible to be true and my experience to be false. Like, let's say I had a a strange dream, uh, um, or I don't even want to get into what could happen, Um, a strange dream where I felt like an angel was telling me to be a Muslim. I could probably, and I was, so I had this dream, read the Bible and say, yeah, Muhammad really isn't a prophet. Jesus is the prophet. So I hold the Bible higher. I believe in the Bible. And so I would probably say that the dream I had might have just been some crazy food that I ate before I went to sleep, is what I would have to say. And so my rebuttal to that claim is, first of all, that we hold the Bible higher than our experiences. Number one, we hold the Bible higher than our experiences. And in the Bible, is there examples of miraculous events happening? Everybody say yes. Yes, there is. There's lots of them. There's lots of examples of miraculous things happening today. So my first rebuttal would be to say that um, the Bible, they have more explaining to do because they're reaching outside of the Bible and saying that once the Bible was complete, somewhere along history, those charismatic gifts, those gifts of the Holy Spirit stopped. And it doesn't say in the Bible that those things are going to stop. And if you find little weird verses that say, that seem to be like, oh, the, the, verse, the, the gifts are going to stop, it's probably taken out of context. Because Paul, the verse that we just read this morning about speaking in tongues, I mean, his, uh, he talks about how, how tongues should happen, how prophecy should happen in an orderly way. And, and so if he was doing all that, wouldn't he finish up saying that, and right after this book is written, these gifts are going to stop? Wouldn't he have said that? But Paul, I don't think Paul believed that the gifts were going to stop. I think, uh, as I'm going to explain in a second, I don't think there's any point in history where the gifts stop. Throughout history, we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so my first rebuttal is just that the Scripture is key. Scripture has miracles in it. You have to go outside of Scripture to say that the gifts have stopped. And my second rebuttal to that, to the anti-charismatic movement, second rebuttal is um, that experience isn't really that bad. I mean, is experiencing God bad? Say no. It's not. It's not. Experiencing God is good. And so a lot of the anti-charismatic movement might say, oh, it's just all experience. It's all too much, too much experience and emotionalism. But you know what? I think that's okay. It's okay to experience God. So my, just my second rebuttal to the, to the anti-charismatic movement is if, if they say, oh, it's, just, it's all about experience and emotionalism, I would say, yeah, so? That we want to experience God, don't we? Think about it in our culture. Last week, how many of you were here last week? I was talking about post-modernity and how we live in a post-modern culture and how at the top of the list of what a post-modern person 
um, thinks that nothing can trump the idea of experiencing something. If you experience something, there's nothing anyone can say to you about that, 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 say, that says, um, oh, I could trump you. Let me explain it this way. Last week I used the example of the chiropractor. You all remember that? Some of you got offended because what I said was, if you go into a chiropractor and you get your back cracked and your back feels a lot better, you experienced a, the chiropractor working on your back, you experienced your back feeling better. And so if someone was to come to you with all these scientific papers, which there are scientific papers that say that, you know what, chiropractors are a part of the alternative healing and there's really nothing scientific about how they heal. There's just no science to it. There's experience and, and people are experience a better back by going to a chiropractor, but science doesn't have any explanations for as to why it may work. That was kind of my, do you remember that example that I used? And of course my wife got mad. You know why? Because she works for a chiropractor. <laughs> but she knew I was telling that story and she kind of went along with it. So, uh, <laughs> on the back of your skillet, you'll find, instead of a quote of the week, you'll find a coupon of the week a free chiropractic visit to Powers Chiropractic. Call Erica. That's, that's the phone number of her work. And so you got, if, you, if you have to mention that you go to the Mill Sunday School, you can experience a chiropractor on your own. And if you were here last week, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you, if you weren't here last week, you're like, what in the world? Kind of, it, it's just, so anybody can experience the free chiropractic visit. Sound good? <laughs> I, my wife made me do that. So... Um, what was I saying before that shenanigan? Oh, the, just the experience. Rebuttal number two, that experience, experiencing God is a good thing. Let's move on. So I, I, I talked about the charismatic movement, defined what it means to be charismatic, kind of did a rebuttal. Here's where New Life Church stands. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a spirit over here, and then the word, word. Over here, and if you're taking notes, um, churches usually kind of fall into one of these two types. Last week we were talking about the fundamentalist Christian movement, and they were all about the word. They were all about good teaching. Some of you go to churches that, that don't really believe in the in the in the spiritual gifts, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, have been to churches like that that are all about the word, teaching of the word and the Bible. And, and how we just need to hold on to the Bible. We don't need to listen to prophets. And we don't need to listen to God. When we, when we pray, our prayers should just be talking to God. We don't need to listen to God. That would be an extreme word church. So I'm drawing a circle around that. And then on the other side, there are spirit churches, spirit-filled churches. No, I don't want to use that term. I want to just say uh, churches that, are, that, that lean into charismatic Pentecostal stuff and are all about, um, like I would say, the church that I went to in Florida would probably be a pretty extreme spirit church in that they loved the Bible. They really did. But what really got them excited was a new prophecy. If someone said, oh, guess what? So-and-so was praying. They said that the church is going to receive this or do this. That's what really got them excited. And so they would be probably an extreme spirit church. And so here, do, do you kind of understand those explanations? Here's where New Life Church fits in. And, and what I believe is a really cool combination. This is like this area, this crossover area of where I believe um, New Life Church 
sits. We are a charismatic church. We're kind of proud of that. We're, we're, we, have, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe that miracles can happen today. We believe that God is still speaking today. So we're, we're a spirit church. But we're also big on the Word. And we, I mean, I don't think there's any Sunday that goes by that we don't read from the Bible or even preach straight from the Bible in our church services. We're all about the good teaching of the Word and the Bible. And so I think throughout history, churches have kind of leaned way over here and, and gone this way. And then there'll be a revolt against that and a bunch of people saying, whoa, we need to be way over here and start listening to God and praying for miracles. And so churches in history will float back and forth and people, there'll be different movements that say, whoa, all this crazy charismatic stuff is a little weird. Let's just go back to the Bible. And so churches will be over here for a little while. And I really think New Life Church sits and and is paving the way into the future for lots of other churches. And, and, And this whole idea of just being charismatic, but being in the middle and saying, Let's be charismatic, and I joke that we're charismatic light, or we're diet charismatic, that we're, that we're not crazy charismatic, but we're not a church that's anti the charismatic movement. We're kind of right in the middle, and I really like where New Life Church sits. I love it. I love New Life Church for their tendency to be right in the middle between a word church and a spirit church. Hopefully I've explained that well, because I think it's a really, really, really big idea. So let's look in history. I have this thesis in their notes, it says, charismatic history up to USA. I have this theory, this hypothesis, that every 100 years since Christ came, there is a primary source document for somebody in the world somewhere to be charismatic throughout church history. There's been, a, as far as Christian history, there's about 2,000 years of Christian church history, right? We live in 2007-ish. And Jesus came in 33 AD-ish. And so there's been about 2,000 years of church history. Throughout that 2,000 years, I'm saying one of my theses, hypotheses, is, is that every 100 years, there's at least some charismatic movement somewhere in the world. And so that, I guess this is kind of another rebuttal to the anti-charismatic movement in that we have so many records throughout history of the charismatic Um, gifts, tongues, prophecy, uh, listening to God, miracles happening all throughout history, that we can't look back at church history and say, oh yeah, right around here, the gifts stopped, that there's this lack of any gifts whatsoever. We don't really see that in history. Let me give you some examples. I'm going to fly through this, kind of reading through this, but I'm going to take you through all 2,000 years of church history very quickly to prove to you that the charismatic movement has been in existence that whole time. And by the charismatic movement, I mean that someone somewhere was was believing in a miracle. Someone somewhere was believing in the gift of prophecy or tongues. Here we go. Has has anybody heard heard of the name Irenaeus, an early church father? A couple people have. A couple serious nerds. You all are serious nerds, but those would be like uber-serious nerds if you've heard of the name Irenaeus. Early church father Irenaeus in about 200 A.D., said, We hear many of the brethren in the church who have prophetic gifts, who speak in tongues through the Spirit, who also bring to light the secret things of men. I think that's kind of about prophecy. So so we have the Bible goes up to about the year 100 A.D.-ish. So that 100 years covered. The year 200, 200 300, covered by Irenaeus. And there's more in that that period of time as well. 300 A.D.-ish, John Chrysostomum, 
Um, he is known as Golden Mouth because he was a really good speaker. Whatever. He was a really good speaker, a really good orator. He writes about, and people write about him because he has performed miracles. He is known for ecstatic speech, is what they call it, and which I think is, is, is translated as tongues. Um, Augustine, has, who has heard of Augustine? You don't have to be an uber nerd to know of Augustine. Augustine is a huge church father. Around 400 AD, Augustine uh, wrote about people that sing in jubilation, singing praises of God, not in their own language, but in a manner that may not be confined to the limits of syllables. And so it's, it kind of seems like they're singing in tongues. You know, whatever. But at least it's there. That's a, it's recorded in history. Between the years 500 AD and 1000 AD, that's known as the Middle Ages. It's known as the Dark Ages. And really, uh, in history, it's known as the Dark Ages. It's not a compliment. It, the Dark Ages, if you're living in the Dark Ages, is someone complimenting you? No, they're, they're saying you live in the Dark Ages. That's a bad thing. And so in the Dark Ages, there was this lack of people that could actually read and write and were literate. People, uh, it was just, there just wasn't much going on as far as written data that we have. However, I saw this book, and I would like to get my hands on it, that said that there's eight the eight charismatics of the Middle Ages. And it, it talks about these eight different characters throughout the Middle Ages that were uh, charismatic. But here's what we do have record of for those 500 years. We have record of the Catholic Church making into saints. 300 people were made saints that they lived in the Middle Ages, and they were made a saint throughout that 500-year Dark Ages. Now, what's the big deal about that? Well, some of you know, if you come from a Catholic background, that to become a saint... One of your requirements is a miracle. You have to pray or perform some sort of miracle. God performs the miracle, but you have to pray for it and witness it uh, about something you prayed for. A miracle has to happen. So in the Catholic Church, there's record documented at least 300 miracles because 300 people were made saints and they lived in the Middle Ages. And so I think that's kind of cool. In the 1100s, the Franciscan order. Has anybody ever heard of the Franciscans? There's lots of examples of the Franciscan. Um, they're, they're like a, I guess, kind of like the stormtroopers of the Catholic Church. They're like the really cool monks that like go out and make little monasteries and uh, and then witness to the <laughs> stormtroopers, you know. Um, and there are many, many accounts of them speaking in tongues, prophesying, and praying for miracles in their uh, monasteries. Yeah, I was going to say monksteries, but that doesn't make any sense. Uh, the Moravians, just a little bit after that. Have you heard of the Na- Moravians? Anyone that's ever been in the furnace has probably heard of the Moravians because David Perkins likes to preach about the Moravians and a dude that was a Moravian named Zinzendorf that started a 100-year prayer meeting. That's a long prayer meeting. He wasn't there the whole time, but it was a nonstop prayer meeting, that, like, kind of like the World Prayer Center. No matter what time you go in there, someone's always there praying, Like even if you go at 2 in the morning. I've been there at 2 in the morning. There's like handfuls of people there praying. I usually go uh, at 6 in the morning and pray, and there's handfuls of people praying in the World Prayer Center. I don't know what they're doing. There's, there's always just people praying in the World Prayer Center. But this prayer meeting uh, in, the, in, the, in the year 1300s was a nonstop uh, prayer meeting that people would just constantly rotate in and out of. I thought it was kind of cool. And they have uh, been known to speak in tongues uh, and, and prophetic movement, commonly, excuse me, commonly broke into disconnected jargon, which they pass... Uh, I can't even read this. Anyways, what does that say? I can't even read. It's typed, and I can't even read my own writing because I type so bad. Um, 
they are known for speaking in tongues is the main point. And finally, 1500s, and then we'll, and then we'll begin in the U.S. church history. In uh, the 1500s was a dude named John Knox. Anybody ever heard of John Knox? If you're a Presbyterian, you probably heard, heard of them. I've heard of John Knox because he's the founder of the Church of Scotland, and the Church of Scotland became the Presbyterian Church. So even today, and I, I, could, I could say this because I worked at a Presbyterian church for a while, that sometimes in the Presbyterian church, not all the time, but the Presbyterian church will be non-charismatic or anti-charismatic. But if they were to even look back and see their founder, John Knox, they would see that he was a dude that had prophetic powers. They would often prophesy over events that were about to take place and uh, pray for miraculous things to happen. Pretty cool, don't you think? And so I just kind of explain. Here's what's so cool about it. I just kind of proved to you that throughout history, the, the whole charismatic thing, uh, the whole praying for miracles, the whole he- seeing healings happen, the whole prophecy, tongues thing, is not just limited to the book of Acts, the book of Corinthians, and the Bible times. It's throughout our history as Christians. And at some points, it was just a, a small little group of people, like the Moravians, really not that big of a group of people, in one place, praying for 100 years, and really, they're, they're kind of unknown in history. They're just, they were just a small little group. But they were a group that was receiving, um, receiving the gifts of the Holy Spirit and praying for those things. And not to say that they're so much better than all the other Christians at that time, because that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that Christians, whether you, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether you believe that the gifts are for today or not today, it doesn't make a difference on salvation. Right? We're talking about um, how, kind of like how church happens and how, and I think it's, I mean, I'm biased. I'm just, I'll just be honest. I'm charismatic. I speak in tongues. Um, I, when, when at New Life Church, later, later today, you'll go in there for the 11 o'clock service. Sometimes, not every Sunday, but during worship, someone will get the mic and say, um, Here, here's, here's what the Lord might have us listen to today. And someone will get on the mic um, and they'll say something like, I believe God is telling me this for us all. And they'll, they'll say, so, yeah, it's almost always something, uh, something nice from God, that God just wants to pour out his spirit today. And for all of you that are lonely, God wants to pour out his spirit. Something like that will happen. Well, you know what? That's a prophesy. That's a prophecy. Did you know that? I mean, you might just think it's a weird prayer in the middle of worship, but that is actually a legitimate prophecy. That's what we call it. Did you know that? Say, yeah, I do now. All right, are you ready to start American charismatic church history? Because if you're not ready, we won't. We'll, I mean, we could do something else. <laughs> Let's start off with the uh, with the 1600s. So we pretty much just went all through, uh, as far as I know, the most prevalent charismatic people um, in church history up until about 1600s. When was America founded? I mean, wait, that was Christopher Columbus. When was America first colonized? 13 colonies. Does anybody know? 16, I think it's 1604, isn't it? Yeah, Jamestown, 1604. So the 1604, some Puritans, uh, were they Puritans? Man, I'm, I'm teaching, I just, you know, you're just out there. Shouldn't this guy know what he's talking about? No, I don't. I just like it, that's all. Um, some Puritans came over. Right, you know this, the state of Pennsylvania? Who settled Pennsylvania? Do you know who settled Pennsylvania? The Quakers, yeah, I hear that name being called out. The Quakers were a really cool group of people. Has anyone ever had Quaker oatmeal? 
Yeah, if they, they did not invent the oatmeal, by the way. I had to look it up on Wikipedia to see why Quaker oatmeal was called Quaker oatmeal. And it's called Quaker oatmeal because the Quakers were very plain in their culture and in their clothing. And so the, the plain Quaker oatmeal kind of got, they thought it was cool to name their oatmeal after the Quakers. That's really just where it comes from. So not, really nothing to do with the oatmeal. Quakers, if you're writing down notes, write down the hippies of the 16 and 1700s. It's really what I, would, what I would call them are the hippies of the 16 and 1700s. They were dissatisfied with the existing denominations and sects of Christianity. There were, at that time, especially in the 13 colonies, there were the Anglicans, there were the Puritans, there was the high Catholic church. Those are all really high church kind of places where you come in, you're prim and proper, you listen to the sermon, you're quiet, then you go home and kind of live it out in a simple way. They wanted to experience God. They were all about um, something that they called the inner light. They called it the Holy Spirit. They, they, they also called it the inner light. They're kind of known for calling it the inner light. This idea that God is inside every single Christian. And so get this. At their meetings, um, I mean, think about going to a weird small group. Has anybody ever been to a weird small group? You know, everybody has at least once. You go in. Here's what, here's what a group of Quakers would look like. You come in, everybody's sitting around the table, and everyone's just quiet. And so you sit down, you're just kind of sitting there looking around, and everyone's just quiet until, and sometimes there's, just, there's uh, documented cases of it taking hours of just silence, people sitting in silence, until someone sitting around the table felt like God was telling them something. And so they would begin to share what they believed God was telling them. And so maybe they would share from Scripture. Maybe they would share, share a prophecy or something like that. And so that's what their services look like. A little weird, don't you think? I mean, honestly, I mean, kind of cool, but a little weird. If you just came into a small group and everyone was sitting around the table, totally quiet, a little weird. And so that's what a Quaker meeting looked like. There was no pastor about them. There was no leader. In fact, they uh, did not even call each other sir or ma'am or doctor or... Uh, or pastor. There was no titles whatsoever. Everyone was the same, which is kind of cool. So you'd sit around the table, and really, I think, for one of the first times in church history, women, as well as men, had an equal opportunity around this table to speak up and say, I feel like God is, is, is sharing to me this for all of you. Would, you know, and maybe you turn to a passage in Scripture, or maybe you tell a story, or maybe you just tell what you believe God is sharing with you. Kind of cool, don't you think? I think so. Because of that, uh, let's see. They sat in silence. They believed God would not lead them in ways contrary to the Bible. There was no baptism, no communion. Every time they ate a meal together, they considered that communion. Um, they, were no, they were called Quakers. Their very name, Quakers, because in their meetings, they would sometimes quake. They would shake a little bit. Under the Holy Spirit, they would shake a little bit. They were known for speaking in tongues. So very early in our 13 colonies, the whole state of Pennsylvania was mainly Quaker. And so the Quakers were those kinds of people, very open to the Spirit, very open to speaking in tongues and, 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 and feeling the Holy Spirit, experiencing the Holy Spirit, praying for miracles. Pretty cool, don't you think? I think so too. Today, there's still Quakers around. They're called Friends, the Church of Friends. Have you ever heard of Friends, the denomination Friends? Not the show. 
They're called friends. Um, let me, um, I really, is this fun? Is this helpful for you guys? I, I've had so much fun all this week, really uh, legitimately fun researching the charismatic movement throughout history. And so next time we're going to pick up right with, the, we're going to pick up with John Wesley and the holiness movement. But first I, I want to close with this quote by a dude named C.S. Lewis. Ever heard of him? I love C.S. Lewis. He says this, God seems to do nothing of himself which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He commands us to do slowly and blunderingly what he could do perfectly and in a twinkling of the eye. And how I think that relates to what we're talking about here is that God could, I mean, he's God. He could do anything he wants. God could, at New Life Church, just speak audibly and everyone would be able to hear him. But instead, God chooses, and throughout history, God has chosen to give us his message so that we might have faith and then speak it to everyone. That's why there's the time of prophecy at New Life Church. And you may not have known that that's really what that was. But God could speak audibly. Could he not? Of course he could. He's God. He could do anything he wants. But he chooses to use us. He chooses, I mean, he could, he could just immediately heal someone's body uh, from whatever disease they have. But instead, he allows us to pray for them and have faith that God might heal that person. And sometimes, God heals them. So he involves us. I just think that quote is so cool. So let's pray.